evening, everyone, and welcome to the Necromaniacs podcast. In full swing for the summertime, I am one of your co-hosts, Mr. Michael Scandano, and with me, of course, is Mr. Mike Hill. What's up, Mike? How's it going, Mike? I hope everyone's doing well. It's uh, pretty damn hot out right now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Um, I would say it's 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 almost it's it's usually not this hot even in June even in late June in New York New Jersey area but you know it's I'll take it man I I do like the heat I'm not a big complainer about the heat I think it actually puts me in, in a good mood I don't know what it is but uh, yeah it's hot <laughs> yeah I'm just happy for modern modern refrigeration you know <laughs> yeah. modern refrigeration air conditioning fans. All of that is good. It makes it makes going to bed really great. Like when you go to bed and they got the air conditioner on, that's that's a really cool kind of summertime, three month out of the year feeling. I like that feeling. Yeah, totally, <laughs> man. Totally. Yes, indeed. Um, before we get into our film of the evening, uh, as we are uh, wont to do here on the Necromaniacs podcast, uh, we like to talk a little bit about what we've been uh, reading, listening to, watching. And for <coughs> me, um, I got in the mail uh, yesterday, Mike, um, the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood novel by Quentin Tarantino, which I'm super psyched to dive into. Uh, you want to, I think, I mean, we did a, a, a rousing entire episode about this movie. We, you know, it was our favorite movie of, 2019 um i mean so i am dying to read this book mike you know it's funny that you mentioned that i remember you sent me a photograph of it and i just listened to Tw uh, quentin tarantino on the joe rogan experience and he was talking about the novelization and uh, mm -hmm. i'm actually he said it was it was interesting he harkened back to like the old days like when there would be like a novelization of a movie you know right and he's mm -hmm. like he wanted to do that with um <clears throat> with uh, once upon a time and now I'm interested in in, uh, in reading it. I think I, I think I might check it out eventually. Well, yeah, I I didn't catch the Rogan one yet. He also did, uh, what's his name, Mark Mayron. I listened to the Mayron podcast Quentin did today, and um, I'm gonna probably do the Rogan one either tonight or tomorrow. I heard that. I mean, they're both great. Apparently, I mean, the the Mayron one was great, but what he said uh, on that one, which you know, caught my ears was that he talks about how cliff uh gets the dog brandy uh which we do not know in the movie like how, how does he have the dog where did the dog come from um they go into detail about cliff's wife and the death oh right on. Which, of course is ambiguous in the film and there's a lot more about the life of, of pretty much uh, everybody so yeah hell yeah i'm excited to read this book you know that sounds cool man and and uh yeah i i um at first, I was like, ah, you know, that's cool. But like now, I'm, now my interest is peaked after I heard uh, yeah. Tarantino talk <laughs> about it. You know, and, and another thing it said, uh, he mentions that you know Cliff's war time is apparently <laughs> quite dark. Uh, he was uh, not in World War Two. He was in uh, what's the Korea apparently, and uh, a little, little dark period of time in his life. So I, I'm stoked to read it. One of the other things I thought was cool that Tarantino talked about, which is a topic that we hit on pretty regularly on this show about, 
you know, people getting offended by his work and everything. And, you know, mm-hmm. and he's like, you know, basically he's like, well, who's, who's saying I can't do the things I do? You know, who, tell me who. <laughs> and it's like, I'm like, good for you, man. Like def- that's exactly what I've been saying all along. Like, who the fuck are these people I was saying? Then, you know, like, who, yeah, no, I mean, that's the one thing. Look, I, there are people I know that aren't fans of his. There are people that say all he does is, is copy or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, the one thing you can agree about him is that he stands by his work. He stands by his word. You know what I'm saying? Like he is not a coward and he doesn't give in to social media nonsense. He doesn't give in to any kind of backlash ever. Actually, if you, if you look back at his entire career, People thought that he was a bit free with some of the language he used in some of his movies and some of the topics. People gave him shit about Margot uh, Robbie not having a lot of lines. He didn't. He never bent for any of that. So that's one of the reasons I love him. He actually addressed that about her not having a lot of lines. And he's like, you know, most of the she spent the whole time basically alone. So it's like, who the hell is she going to talk to? Yes. You know, he's like, I could have put like someone in the car with her or, you know, but it's just, it didn't feel right to do that. So I was like, yeah, well, you know, I I, I agree. As we said on, on our episode, which listeners, if you haven't listened, you should check out, dig back a bunch of episodes back. We covered it at length. I just think it showed her as a fucking human being. Like they showed her kind of snoring. They showed her with dirty feet. Uh, which may or may not just be Quentin's little uh, thing, as as we all know. But I feel like he humanized her. You know what I'm saying? And she, I don't know, the way she talked to people, like rewatching the movie, which I did actually rewatch uh, a couple of days ago uh, in anticipation of getting the novel. I feel like she was the kind of person in this movie who had such little interactions with people to the point where when she did interact with people, she was so fucking pleasant. You know what I'm saying? And so radiant. Yeah. You know, she, she's so nice to everybody in the movie. And if you watch the movie again, you see exactly what I'm talking about. Also, the first time I watched the film, you know, knowing the story of, uh, you know, the true to life, um, yeah. you know, story, I was getting all anxious. I'm like, oh, man, you know, you're really starting to, you know, enjoy Sharon Tate and you're starting to Mm -hmm. like her. And I'm like, oh, my God, you know, down the line, like how, you know, she's going to, you know, has her demise is 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 uh, looming in the distance, you know. And then, of course, the movie has a, you know, a different take on it, alternate reality version of the story. Mm -hmm. But um, but yeah, I mean, that's the thing, man. It's like nowadays these fucking people are re- are writing rewriting your story because they don't like the story. I'm like, well, that's the way the story goes. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, if you, that, I don't know what to tell you. You know, that's that's how it goes, you know? And, and if anything, I think Quentin gets points for giving us a world where she does live. Yeah, right. Man, totally. He is a great person and people got to see her as a great person and someone without an ego and, you know, like... I thought that was a very nice thing he did, but eh, whatever. Yeah. Let's focus on the let's focus on the word count. You know, whatever. I know, right? Not the fact that she didn't get brutally murdered at the end. Like that's <laughs> like, you know, okay, she didn't have that many lines in the film, but she didn't get brutally murdered at the end. Exactly. Uh, another book I got in today's mail. Uh, I'm ex- excited about this one. Is uh, the newest uh, Brian Keene, 
uh, novel. He's on a bit of a tear as of late. Uh, it's called With Teeth. It's his uh, vampire book. It's a standalone book. Uh, a group of four middle-aged friends uh, take a trip into the forest, which was supposed to be simple. All they had to do was find a place to set up their criminal enterprise and all of their financial problems would be solved. But now night is falling and with the darkness comes something else. Something fast, something ferocious, something with teeth. Uh, apparently this is a really good one. Uh, it's not super long. It's like uh, 130 pages. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be reading both of these very soon. That's awesome, what about man. You? Yeah. Um, as far as books go, I, I, um, I started, actually, I've been reading some trades, uh, why the last man, I finally started checking oh, that out. <laughs> nice. Nice. Loved it. Yeah. I read the first trade. I'm, I'm moving on to the second. I'm also reading DMZ. These are all things I missed out on the first time around. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't, I, didn't, I just, they just escaped me, man, back then. Uh, DMZ, uh, is coming. The DMZ series is coming. I can't remember which, uh, which platform is putting it out, but it is coming. Um, it might even be HBO max, believe it or not. Uh, why the last man has had, I don't know, three or four, three or four false starts at this point with studios and actors and attempts as of right now, I think it's, it's again, dead in the water, but I, I really hope they, that somebody adapts the thing because man every time i've read it i've been like this is this is a series just begging to happen yeah i love it man i i like i said i don't know why i slept on it the first time around on both of these series and um i, I really enjoy both of them and i'm, I'm just kind of getting getting into the into it in both cases yeah they were both pretty popular uh during the brooklyn monster factory games <coughs> when I had a comic shop, which is how Mike and I met to the uh, to the newer listeners. Um, yeah, I mean, two Vertigo books, man. Vertigo was the shit, as as we know. Yeah. What about movies, man? Teach and shows, that kind of stuff. Uh, a little behind on that stuff, to be honest. Um, I've been focused elsewhere. Uh, I, I will let the listeners know that I have a new job on on the horizon. Um, and, uh, well, at least I accepted the offer with a new job. So I'm, I'm excited about that. I've been, uh, I've been unemployed since November, which is something, uh, you know, I've kept to myself, kept under my hat. Uh, definitely didn't talk about it on the show. I don't think I, I did, Mike. Keep me honest. I don't think so, man. I mean, yeah, that's like, uh, yeah, that's something that's stressful. And, you know, I, yeah. I, I, I understand not wanting to go too deeply into it. Exactly. But, uh, there's the light at the end of the tunnel and, uh, yeah, I'm starting a new job soon. So I'm, I'm excited about that. Um, busy with, uh, the, the music front, getting ready for the, the, the new last stand EP coming out July 23rd, plug, 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 uh, on digital, the vinyl won't be coming out till later in the fall. It's on, uh, Irish voodoo records. Um, yeah, I've actually, uh, you know what? I have been watching Miami Vice. <laughs> I've been right on. Uh, I am towards the end of season one. Um, Miami Vice, as some listeners may know, is near and dear to my heart. I just love the goddamn show. Uh, so, I mean, look, it, it, to watch it now, visually, the clothing, yeah, it's dated. Everyone's wearing 80s clothing. 
But I think the acting holds up. I think the music holds up. I think the, the mood and vibe holds up uh, personally. So I've been, been enjoying my Miami Vice rewatches. I've always loved that show. Mm. Oh, I, yeah. <clears throat> you can't really fuck with that show. Actually, it was pretty groundbreaking for the time, if you really think about it, you know. Absolutely. I mean, it brought c- cinematic qualities to television. And I, I, I maintain it was the first show to do, you know, to do that in 1984. Prior to 1984, I, I don't know. I, I, I will say, going back as a kid, I always thought Hill Street Blues was very ahead of its time. It was actually quite gritty and very, like, you know, pretty hard kind of cop show, drama kind of show. But Miami Vice, I thought, really, really upped the ante uh, in terms of, of both the drama and action and violence. So, uh, yeah, important show. You know, I, I was I, I've been thinking about Hill Street Blues uh, recently too, and and uh, I want to revisit that. Uh, it was my dad's favorite show, actually, uh, one of his favorite shows. Uh, that and NYPD Blue were my dad's probably two favorite dramas ever. <laughs> well, what was that? Uh, Ver- Veronica Hamill is that her name? <laughs> Man, I had a crush on her, the the brunette. Yeah, back in the day, definitely. Smoke show. Wow. Would love to see what you would, you know, I don't even know if she's, I mean, I imagine she's alive. I I hope she's alive. But man, she was good looking. Woo. Yeah, totally. (laughs) I'm going to try to find that. Where, where, do you know if that's streaming anywhere? Like Hulu or something like that? Hill Street, I'm not sure. It's weird. Miami Vice is on like five services uh, in for some reason. I, I was under the impression that like Peacock would have an exclusive because it's NBC, but no, it's on Amazon. It's on sci-fi. It's, it's sci-fi. on like, it's on five different streaming services. Uh, I'm watching it on Amazon. It looks good on Amazon. I was watching it on a different one and I'm like, why does this not look good? The quality, uh, the Amazon quality for my device is quite good. So, I would go there, but the the best is if you buy the Blu-ray personally, because a buddy of mine is like it, the streaming services compared to what the Blu-ray looks like is almost night and day. I'm like, oh wow, so, I could see that. Yeah, yeah. I've been uh, getting into. Well, actually, I binged the entire second season of Black Summer on uh, Netflix. What's that all about, dude? Do me <laughs> a favor, check it out. It's, okay. I know it's when I tell you what it is, you're gonna be like, I don't know, man. But it, believe me, it's good. It's a zombie series, right? Oh, it is a zombie series. Okay. Yes, but it it's it's a I don't it it's really. I mean, it's hard to explain why it's different, but it just is different than all the other series that have been out there. Way different than The Walking Dead. Um, mm-hmm. There's like a, a a bleakness to it and a hopelessness to it that just Ooh. you know. And the fact of the matter. <clears throat> I remember the first season just kind of popped up out of nowhere. And I think the episodes were only like 30 minutes long. And you have the whole time you're watching and you have the sense that literally anything can happen. You know, oh, wow. and, and you're kind of like on edge the whole time. You're like, you know, fast zombies. You know, anyone can get killed or, you know, bitten or turned into a zombie. And then the second season just ratchets that tension up. And it's like. And the final season finale was like one of the most like, like anx- I was like so anxious like watching it, you know. 
Well, I, I'm going to check it out. Yeah. No, it's, it's on Netflix? It's on Netflix. And now I don't know if someone told me that it's connected to some other series that I haven't seen called like Z Nation or something like that. Hmm. I don't know much. I, I know that exists. I don't know what it's about, and I haven't watched that. And also, I haven't verified whether or not Black Summer has any connection to that show. But that's what someone told yeah. me that, you know. Okay. Of course, awesome. uh, you know, of course, War of the Worlds is still doing, doing, doing me fine, you know, on Epics. That's, um comes out weekly, so you can't binge that, you know, unless you want to wait for the whole thing to end. Oh, wow. Well, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I've been just behind on, like, the horror on the streaming site, like, horror series, you know? Right. Um, I've just kind of been, I've been focusing on, you know, the stuff that we cover specifically or just kind of random different things, you know? I mean, it's just, it's just been, like, a, a, a weird time where I haven't been, like, okay, I'm just going to plunk down and check out this this new horror streaming series. Here I go. But I think I just need to just fucking bite the bullet. And I think Black Summer will be where I do it. I, I can't recommend it enough, man. And, you know, anyone out there who, who might have had reservations because they didn't know what the show was about, I totally recommend Black Summer. It just sounded, it, had, it was a cool title, too. It was like Black Summer, you know. It's like a dan- it dancing cool song or something, you know. Uh, yeah, I mean, Dirty Black Summer, of course. We are in the, we have a, uh, in the beginning of our, our Dirty Black Summer here in the Northeast. Yeah. Um... But uh, tonight, uh, we are, are taking a, a break from our uh, summer horrors to throw a, a bit of a curveball. Uh, we're covering a movie that is, I feel like it's new to a lot of people, although it is not new. Uh, it came out in the fall of 2018, actually. Uh, the Clove Hitch Killer. Um, this is a movie that Mr. Hill had already seen. Uh, about a year or so ago, right, Mike? Uh, yeah, right, right when it came out, I felt like um, there's there were two films that sort of came out around around the same time. This one and Summer of '84, mm-hmm. yeah, similar because they had a similar subject matter. So I, I watched both of them, and um, this one wins, in my opinion. Yeah, this is definitely the superior film. This is an IFC Midnight film uh, that actually had a November sixteenth, twenty eighteen release but what put it kind of back on a lot of people's radar was uh on june 8th uh out of nowhere the king of horror himself stephen king sent out a tweet that went like this sometimes an excellent small movie falls through the cracks that's the case with the clove hitch killer netflix i found it unbearably suspenseful your mileage may vary but be warned not for the faint of heart he sent that out at 5.47 on June 7th, 2021. And a whole bunch of people, like, uh, you know, horror, my horror friends on Facebook and, and the horror nerd group uh, posted that. And a lot of people were like, oh, shit, I got to check that out. And and then a bunch of people were like, wait a minute, no, I've seen this movie. Like, you know, some people were a little confused. Like, they thought it was a brand new movie. Um, but I'm going to say that that tweet alone put... I don't know, several thousand new eyes on that film. Would you agree? I mean, I mean, I, I can't, I can't, you know, I have to think that it did. You know, I can't imagine that not having an impact on people's opinions, you know? Yeah, totally. I mean, <laughs> I, I look, I think if you're of a certain age, 
you you have a, a, a big amount of respect and admiration for Mr. King. Uh, I imagine anyone in the horror writing world certainly does. Um, and let's just say I think some of the best horror movies ever are adaptations of his books. Would you Would you agree? I mean, The Shining. Sure. Yeah. I mean, Henry. You know. Yeah, totally. Um, the, the list can go on. And, you know, I heard about his tweet and I went, yep, I got to watch that fucking movie. But you had said, oh, Mike, I've seen this movie. <laughs> it is good. And uh, that's what kind of brought it to, to you know, the necromaniacs fold, so to speak. Um, even though it's a movie that Mike had already seen. Uh, and I, we thought it would be an excellent time to cover it. This is a great fucking movie, listeners. Right, Mike? Yeah, and, and in a lot of ways it reminds me of um, like a Stephen King story. You know, absolutely. It has it has his footprints on it. Although I don't think the 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 director Duncan uh, Skillis. Are we gonna go with Skillis on this last name? S K I L E S. Um, sure. Yeah. I don't know if he has said anything about whether or not you know King was going through his head with this film, but yeah, it definitely has that feel with it because it has this dynamic with a family and a father and son and a wife and just this kind of weird family dynamic to it. Uh, however, what the movie is loosely based on is Dennis Rader, the bind, torture, kill BTK killer, who I, I refer to often as the last serial killer, Mike. Um, what do you think about my, about my, my statement on that one? Yeah, he, he's um, probably the most recent of, people that have been actually you know earmarked as a serial murderer so you don't really hear that term too much these days no and you certainly don't hear about <laughs> any new serial killing sprees or cases or any any kind of like there's a serial killer loose i don't i haven't heard that sentence in quite a while you know uh the closest again i come to it is is out in Long Island the uh, all those the bodies of all those prostitutes which they still technically haven't made an arrest yet. Um, uh, I forget the name of the beach. Uh, something like over a dozen uh, women's remains were found, and they technically have yet to catch that killer. Um, but aside from that, I feel like Dennis Rader was the last high-profile case, you know, and his story goes back to the seventies. He, his last murder was in, like, 91. And then, just for shits and giggles, around 2004, he decided that he wanted to just start sending letters to his fucking local newspaper to tease the fucking police. Can you believe that? Unbelievable. Now, let me ask you a question. What do you, what do you, why do you think that they're, they're just serial murders seem to drop off? Do you think it's just the way the press, like, frames stuff up? Or, or do you think that was a phenomenon from, like, years gone by? Or, like, what? Do you have, do you have any ideas about that? Any, any... I, have, I have three three little, you know, possible reasons. Number one, closed-circuit cameras everywhere. That's, that's my number one. Things that make it hard to be a serial killer right now. There's cameras everywhere. Even in places where you don't think there's cameras. Number one. Number two, cell phones. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. That everyone has, your victim has a cell phone. You have, it's at any point, a button could be pressed. Like, 
you, you just don't know. Those cell phones have tracking devices in them. Um, it's, it's just, again, it makes it a little more difficult. And then the third, I think ultimately the advancement of DNA technology uh, makes it makes it harder to like really, you know, make someone really disappear. I mean, look, there are people out there that make people disappear, obviously. But I feel like technology has made it just so hard for like these lunatics to do their bidding. I'm not saying that it's not happening. It, it probably is happening. But I just think the reason why we don't see it happening on the scale it was happening up until about, I don't know, the, the mid-90s is for those particular reasons. Yeah, you know, it's like, I, I wonder about that too, you know, and, and part, I mean, I agree with all the things you said that it, it is really, um, impo- like, very, almost impossible to do anything in secrecy these days, mm-hmm. you know, and of course, DNA evidence, it's not going to be like, like when we talked about Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, we talked about um, Henry Lee Lucas, the real life Henry Lee Lucas, yeah. just confessing mm-hmm. to like over 300 murders and the cops just like, okay. We're, those, those cases are solved, you know, no, no evidence, you know. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, look, if it's happening, I mean, wow. I mean, it's, 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 I don't know if it's happening on the scales, like the body counts of, of your Bundys and your Dahmers. I don't know. I just feel like the, the world is a different place, you know. Um, in a way, I do think the world is, is getting quite savage now, honestly. And the empathy level in this world right now is horrendous. Uh, uh, hell, I think time is ripe for a comeback of serial killers because I feel like that's how little some people value human life right now. But it doesn't take away from the three factors that I just said. I feel like it's still it, it's still hard to to do these types of crimes. Yeah, that's an interesting thing to think about, you know, and. Um... Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, someone to do a study on it, you know. Yeah, yeah. I bet maybe somebody has, but yeah, it is loosely based on Dennis Rader, the Clove Hitch Killer. Uh, they definitely got a bunch of the facts right. Uh, it's funny, uh, the Mindhunter show, uh, which you know is uh, unfortunately an unfinished series, which I keep hearing conflicting things as to whether or not it's coming back or not. Uh, they have Dennis Rader figuring in on on that series as well so it would be so great to see that come back damn love that show yeah me too man so you, you want to let's run down the small but powerful cast on this film absolutely go for it yeah okay we got the great dylan mcdermott stars as don burnside and of course um we know dylan mcdermott from hardware he played mm-hmm. hard mo in hardware that's right and uh you know recently um you know, American Horror Story, et cetera. Good actor. Yeah, very good actor. Um, kind of like a workman guy, you know, like he's like a guy you give a role and he just does a great job, you know? Yes, and I, uh, that dude should be in more movies, but that's, a, well, you know, we'll hold off on that. Yeah. Charlie Plummer plays his son, Tyler, and uh, Charlie Plummer was in Boardwalk Empire as a child actor. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and he also... We have a little. We have two necromaniacs tie-ins in this cast. Charlie Plummer was in All the Money in the World about the Getty family, uh, which is actually a pretty cool movie. There's, there was like two movies made about the Getty family, 
And then, of course, <laughs> there's the horror movie we covered about two, three years ago done by a, another Getty offspring. You know which movie I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, I do. It's like one of the most uncomfortable films I think I've ever seen. Yes. Um, and <laughs> I'll just jump ahead and, and I'll name the other two cast members. We have Samantha Mathis, who, who plays the wife, uh, Mrs. Burnside, who to me was literally unrecognizable in this movie. I had no idea. I didn't even realize that was Samantha Mathis from Pump Up the Volume, Mike. Yeah. And I mean, you know, they, they really had her um, mommed up in this one. You know what I mean? Just yeah. like suburban mom, you know. Oh, yeah. Totally. Uh, and then we have Madison Beatty, who is in... What a surprise, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. She plays uh, the redhead. Who, yeah, who was, yes, who was based on uh, Krenwinkel yep. uh, from the Manson family. She was a vicious, she comes to a horrific ending, uh, let's just say, <laughs> to, to say the very least. Uh, she plays Cassie in this movie. So we have a really cool cast. We kind of have three Necromaniacs tie-ins in this movie with uh, McDermott, uh, Madison Beatty and Charlie Plummer. Pretty cool. And all four of these actors really delivered, I think, great performances too. Oh, no. I, I, I totally agree. Um, I mean, the, the script was by uh, uh, Christopher Ford, uh, directed by Duncan Skillis, produced by Andrew Korchak, Cody Ryder, and Walter Korchak. Um, I looked up Duncan Skillis, he has not done a lot, actually. Yeah, I did um, the same. I did the same. I didn't really see much that I was familiar with. No. Uh, before this, he did a bunch of episodes of The Fuzz, a, a show that I kind of know. I think it's like a cop cop spoof kind of show. And then after The Clovefish Killer, he did something called Stories from the Felt. 12 episodes he directed 2017 to 2019. I, I'm looking at it on IMDb. I don't even know what it is. So it's a TV miniseries. It, it, I don't think it's horror at all, which is kind of interesting. Hmm. Well, both of these guys, I think, have a real strength when it comes to doing this type of material, this kind of genre, genre stuff, you know? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope... Uh, Duncan Skillis does more horror because this is a good fucking horror movie, right? I mean, you know, hopefully it's not a, he's not a one-and-done guy. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, so as I was saying, loosely based on the BTK. And uh, Dylan McDermott, I got to say, uh, I was telling this to Mike uh, off-air. <coughs> it felt as I watched this film, as this film began, that, like the moment Dylan McDermott is on the screen... I was uncomfortable with him, <laughs> which is weird to say about Dylan McDermott. But if you see this movie, you kind of, or if you've seen it, you kind of know what I'm, what I'm getting at. Um, he, he's, he's a father, and I actually didn't even realize he was the kid's father in that beginning scene behind the truck after that, that, that you know, camping moment thing, whatever. Um, like because he, he he puts the kid in a headlock and he's like you know make you know say uncle like I actually thought it was an uncle like I didn't get it at first is that right am I crazy yeah and also let's mention that uh, that McDermott's character is uh, <clears throat> he's a he's a scoutmaster too 
You yes. Know? And, and the scout and that that kind of plays heavily into the story <clears throat> because um, his son is a, also a scout, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, so yeah, there's a lot of and, and the whole idea of the clove hitch, which is a, a knot, you know, and he utilizes that, you know, in, in his uh, criminal exploits. And yes, of I was never a scout, but I do know that there's all this thing, these things about them. my brother Joe was, was an Eagle Scout, actually, my oldest brother. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so I do recall that there's a bunch of stuff with ropes, <laughs> so, um, which is it's a little uncomfortable. Anyway, um, I, I, could, I could have never been a Boy Scout. I think I actually almost tried to become one, right? when I was like 11 or 12 and I hated it. And I left after like the first meeting or like the first two kind of like meetups. Like I even had like a, a uniform and everything. And I was like, I don't want to do this. I remember I telling my mom or dad, like uh, this isn't for me. Were you a scout, Mike? I was a cub scout. Like when I was like younger, like the younger pre boy mm-hmm. scout thing. But, um, you know, I, I went through those couple of years of doing that. And then I was like, you know, this isn't really for me either. And, uh, I just got involved yeah. in other other things. I, you know what? I guess I am talking about the Cub Scouts because if I'm ten and eleven, that's what I'm probably talking about. Um, so I even knew at that young age that I just just wasn't super into it. Not to offend any of our Scout listeners, by the way. <laughs> um, yeah, it just wasn't for me and Mister Hill. We found you know Motley Crue and Iron Maiden or something, and our paths just were you know in different directions. Um, so yes. The Mr. Burnside has a son, Tyler Burnside. They're they're a devout Christian family that live in Clarksville, Kentucky. Um, and apparently, there years back, there was a bunch of unsolved murders, of course. Uh, and they dubbed the killer the Clove Hitch Killer. Uh, he was an infamous serial killer who bound and strangled ten female victims. And then disappeared. So it's basically 10 years since his last killing right at the onset of the beginning of the film, Mike. Now, I'm going to bring up a point here is uh, this movie feels like it takes place like in the 90s or something like that. You know, doesn't it? It it really does. Um, But I think and I could be wrong, although they haven't really put a year on this movie. I think it is the supposed to be the early O's for some reason. Because they have cell phones. Yeah, they, they have some, like cell phones with like GPS tracking and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's they're not. It's but there's not a ton of uh, there's not a ton of distracting scenes of teenagers are constantly on their phone in this movie, which is a good thing. Um, but it makes me think it might be a bit earlier in the O's uh, because that's around the time when Dennis Rader <coughs> did in, I believe, are 04, 05. And I think that, that would kind of line up with what they're loosely basing it on, you know, as an educated guess. Well, well the um, the tone, you know, obviously it's a small town, you know, some town in Kentucky. It's just that, that strong middle American, you know, Christian ho-hum sort of lifestyle that everyone seems to be living here. You know, there, there's like the kids are in Boy Scouts, you know, uh, Burnside's the scoutmaster. You know, he seems to be somebody that the last person on the surface that you would imagine to be involved in, in murders, certainly not murders 
and also some of the deviant behavior surrounding those murders. You, he's not even someone that would pop on, on your radar for that kind of stuff. No. And, dude, let's be honest. Dennis Rader was lit with 91 was his last killing. This is 2004. You know? Yeah. He, he decides to, to start sending letters to, to a newspaper in fucking Kansas where he lives. By the way, he killed all of his victims in the same state that he lived in and never left his fucking hometown. It's unbelievable, dude. He could be, if he didn't do this, he'd be chilling right now. No? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's, it, I mean, again, I, I regard this as the last of the serial killers because this is, it's, it's quite a story. I mean, you know, I'm not praising the guy. He's a fucking piece of garbage. But, you know, these types of things interest us as horror fans. Um, when they arrested him in 05, this is interesting, Raider, uh, police officer said, uh, do you know why you're going downtown? He goes, oh, I have suspicions why. That's what he said to the cop. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. And uh, true to the, to the real story, uh, you know, it's a devout uh, Christian family in a movie. And, and sure enough, you know, the Raiders were Christian family. He was a married guy with kids. Just like Mr. Burnside. <laughs> now, now, let me ask you a question about your own childhood. Like, uh, like the Christian angle on this whole thing is really prevalent. Like, even, even um, uh, you know, the, the friend, you know, Tyler's mm -hmm. buddy, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, like, living by the word of, the, of, of God. You know what I mean? Like, he's, like, super, super into religion. Like, everyone's talking about God. There's, like, this really, really heavy-duty vibe in the, throughout the whole community. Mm -hmm. And um, was, how, was that something that you had, in, like, prevalent when you were growing up? We were, I would say, basic Catholics. Yeah. Um, went to church on Sunday. Went to Catholic school. Didn't eat meat on Friday. And that's about it. Yeah, that was similar, um, similar for me. It was more that was more like an Italian American thing, really. You know yeah, what I mean? Italian, right, exactly. Um, the family was bonkers uh, the, the, the rest of the week, and on Sunday too. It was typical. I mean, it was Brooklyn, fucking seventies, eighties, five fucking kids. You know, um, yeah, and then and then by like eighty eight. 89 i think i think i was still going to church in the, in the in my early hardcore days because i was i was like 14 or whatever yeah i think i think i stopped church junior senior year i, I can't really remember the exact year might be some point in senior year i stopped uh because that's when i think really that the devil stuff really kicked into gear for me <laughs> like i'm laughing at this now because i think it's hilarious but it's true um, you know, so, but the family, no, it was normal. It was, I will say normal standard Brooklyn Catholicism. That's what about you? Yeah, the same, you know, it was, uh, you know, the town I grew up in was all Italian and Irish people. And, um, you know, was, yep. you know, there was a couple of, you know, a very small, like group of uh, Jewish people and, and that was about it. But like, you know, it. They don't. I feel like Catholics don't go as crazy with Christianity as like the Protestants would do. You know what I mean? They don't. I mean, and in a way, it's. I think they're Lutherans, but they're like hardcore Lutherans in the movie. Um, 
the more the most hardcore aren't even really the protestants it's the evangelicals are the most hardcore of the christians i feel like those are the ones that like you know they won't even associate with with certain uh, people who aren't just like them it seems like and i don't want to offend any evangelical listeners which we may have who the hell knows <laughs> um yeah but the evangelicals, at least what I'm trying to say, are the ones that get the rap as being the most cool. Uh, <laughs> I mean, in Brooklyn, Mike, we did I didn't even know any Protestants, although there are some sprinklings of Protestant churches in South Brooklyn. Nobody was Protestant that I knew growing up. Nobody was Lutheran or Baptist. I mean, it was Catholic or Jewish, or that's about it for a while. Uh, until later on, when I was 17 and I joined Confusion, I learned what a Muslim was because my drummer was Muslim and I didn't even know what the hell that was. So, yeah. Well, the reason I bring that up is because of, um, you know, this uh, very kinky sort of interests that, uh, that Don Burnside has, you know, and yeah, I have yeah. to believe that a lot of that stuff, those kinks develop maybe through like repression. And, and that's the thing, man. Like you get a vibe of heavy Christianity living by the rules, you know, mm -hmm. um, you know, Tyler's buddy is like very, very judgmental of things that he perceives as not being Christian, you know? Yeah. Yes. And <laughs> what about the line where, uh, what's his name says that, uh, Madison Bay said, come out of the closet already. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, well, we haven't even gotten to, um, to Cassie. I know. I just, yeah. But, yeah, it just uh, it it popped into my head. I got ahead of myself, Mike. Sorry yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah, but so we discover about some of the uh, the kinkiness when um, yeah. when when Tyler's uh, you know he for all intents and purposes he, he let's say he borrows the, uh, the his father's work truck without telling him one night to meet up with a young lady. Yeah, right? you know mm -hmm. so um, you know it's uncomfortable teenage you know, sexual, uh, you know, explorations. And it looks like he's going to get lucky with this, this girl. And she finds that she, she goes to, to bring the seat back and she finds this photograph of like, you know, some bondage, a bondage photo. Uh, with a girl with a, a gag in her mouth. Yeah. yeah. Whatever. And, you know, of course, um, Tyler wants her to believe the truck, you know, he probably is like, yeah, I'll take you out in my truck or whatever. And she's like, well, how right. come this is in, right. in your, mm -hmm. how, where do you get this from? And it's like, it's it's not funny though. That's the thing. You it's no, it's very not, eerie. It's like not. such an eerie like vibe when you because obviously Tyler, what's going through his mind is like this is my dad's truck. You know. You know what? As I watched the movie, I almost yelled at the TV, going, "Say it's my dad's truck!" <laughs> because he looked so embarrassed, so mortified, so upset. Why didn't he say, like he could have just said, "That's not my picture." This is my dad's truck. Like I would you mean like I know me. If I'm him, right, at that moment, I would have blurted out, That's not me. That's my this is my dad's truck. I would have thrown my dad under the bus accidentally, just right here. Uh, you know? I, I, I hear what you're saying, but one of the right. things that I thought was like up until that point, up until he started seeing the complexity of his father, I think Tyler really, really looked up to his dad. You know what I mean? His dad was like the scoutmaster. You know, they had, they looked, it appeared like they had like a, a really great relationship. You know, it was, and I think that he was so just like 
stricken by the fact that this thing, this weird porno, and it wasn't just like, you know, some chick with her titties out. It was like some dark, ball, you know, ball gag, like SM kind of thing, you know? It was a weird looking, it was, it was weird looking. Yeah. It wasn't just, it, it, it wasn't even standard SM, right? Exactly. It was weird. Like, yeah. 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 It was scary. Like that stuff always yeah. like, um, you know, you see things like that and, and, uh, you know, the, the light stuff is like funny, you know, like the Betty Page kind of bondage stuff or whatever. But when you see like the real hardcore, like SM, BDSM stuff, it's a, it's a little scary, man. I got to be honest, for me at least. It looked like dark woods porn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what it looked like. That's what it reminded me of. I swear to God. And we've talked about woods porn before. <laughs> woods porn is back in the 80s when you're a kid. And you're in the woods or you're like a bike trail or whatever. And you're with your friends. And all of a sudden, one of your friends goes, holy shit, look at this. And 9.9 times out of 10, it's some porn that some random dude threw there. And that's kind of what this looked like, you know, but like a dark version. Yeah. Right. And and now the cats, I mean, now now there's, a, there's big repercussions as a result of that, you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he gets pegged as a pervert. You know, she, of course, she tells all of her little friends. And, you know, he, it's that really, girl, really embarrassing for him. She really screwed him over, that girl. I mean, th- th- that's the other way you could tell it was, it was you know, kind of the 2000s. Because uh, <laughs> she gave him a 2000s, you know, uh, ass whooping in, in the social world, in a way. Yeah. But, you know, at that age, man, I mean, it, at 16, you're not, you're not very worldly. You know, no. and, and, and especially no. since you're if you're living in a small town in Kentucky and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the in 2000, say, say, let's say just for argument's sake that this film took place in 2004. OK, mm-hmm. you know, the Internet, you know, that was still kind of like um, you couldn't. I, I, I think that you were, it was still a little bit ahead of being able to find every single weird proclivity on the Internet, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, because no one had that. It seemed like. You know, when he was trying to look up stuff, he had to go to the family computer, you know, so you're not combing the internet looking for bizarre porno like people do now. Yeah, so also in the fact that he didn't have his own one and and the phones and everything, I think we're we're totally on the money as to where we think this is taking place as, as far as the years are concerned in the earlier part of the O's. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, and it's this just, it kind of kicks off the movie where Look, if you're just watching the movie blindly like I did, I didn't read anything other than the Stephen King articles about it. I mean, like, you know, because a bunch of the horror, a bunch of the horror news outlets made stories out of the tweet. I don't know if you knew that, actually. It's kind of interesting. Um, that's all I had to go by. So I'm watching this blindly. And in the back of my head, um, yes, we're spoiling the movie. Uh, I don't even know if the dad is the killer yet. Like, that, I don't even know what's right. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, but I got to be honest with you. I, I kind of, <laughs> this is one of those films too, where you sort of know it's, it's not so much about the mystery. You know what I mean? You, you know who the, you kind of know early on what's up, like who's actually, uh, you know, it, it would, it would be a very disappointing ending if it had a Scooby-Doo ending or something like that. You know, I know uh, there is a bit of a curveball with the uncle. Right, Uncle Rudy. <laughs> Which, at some point, the father tries to, to say that every all this uh, S&M stuff 
belong to Uncle Rudy. But the one thing, my take on this, which goes unanswered, is that Uncle Rudy found out about what uh, he was up to, Dylan McDermott. And I think Dylan <coughs> McDermott took care of him and, and his vegetative state is, is because uh, of Don. Huh, that's interesting. You, yeah, I can see that for sure. Because what was he trying to what was he trying to kill himself for? Like what or 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 I mean, he, they they say it was just an automobile accident that left him in a coma, whatever vegetative state. I almost feel like because there there's that scene towards the end where they where uh, where they they go to him. Like why did they you know where is why is that scene there? I think it's because he knows. You know what I'm saying? Like he knows about don and he can't do anything about it at all obviously sure i'll, I'll buy um, that yeah i thought that was actually a, a cool uh, you know unanswered part of the story so short, shortly after um <clears throat> tyler's ostracized by everybody for being a pervert that's when we uh we en enter cassie yes yeah, the outsider you know yeah she's uh a girl in, in the town in, in the high school uh, redhead who uh, I don't know they, they don't like her because she's not a Christian number one and apparently like her mom left her to become a stripper which is we learn is not true um, I almost felt like that wasn't true the minute that that kid said that actually yeah uh, it was kind of planted you know um, and she is obsessed with the cool pitch cases and she gets kind of teased and ostracized for being obsessed with the cases and if you're the viewer you're like well gee well why is she obsessed with the cases you know and you get to learn why she's obsessed with the cases yeah and she's just like one of these cool like weird chicks you know what i mean like that i probably would have would have really liked when i was in high school you know what i mean like oh um, yeah you know just like this yeah. kind of weird she's into dark shit and like i don't know she just as soon as <laughs> like, i was like okay this is great man she's a, she's like the cool girl but everyone's like not into it the way that she is, you know, and she's like an outsider. I just thought that was cool. In in real life, uh, this movie was shot in like 2017 or whatever. Uh, I mean, she's 26 now. She's gorgeous. Um, she looks kind of, you know, not gorgeous in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And in this, she almost looks passable as a high school student, although she's about 22, I believe, during the time that she filmed this movie. Um but yeah, she's definitely the kind of girl that, like, uh, you know, metalheads, hardcore dudes, or punk dudes would have totally wanted to hang out with. Totally. Yeah, you know, she's just kind of out on the outs, on the fringe, like away from everything, and you know, reading books and everything. It was just cool. No, totally. Um, I think again, they did a really good job, right? Of I think they planted some doubt about the, you know, the dad, um, and they did a good job kind of not really shoving down your throat her story, right? Her, right you know, yeah. they reveal it over time. Yeah. 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 It's, it's kind of, uh, it, it's interesting. It's like, you know, you, you want to know more about her character and they don't really give it all to you right away, which I thought was nice. Another key point that comes up is the infamous shed. You know, mm -hmm. every, every pervert or serial killer has a shed with a lock on it. I think it's a law, yeah. Yeah, you have to have one of those things if you're trying to hide something from your family. 
<laughs> so, so of yeah. course, because I mean, you know, it's funny though. It's like, I, I think like we had a shed, you know, but there mm-hmm. was no lock on it mm-hmm. when I was growing up. That's where we put like the lawnmower and like you know stuff like that, you know, miscellaneous like lawn care, accoutrements like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But this one has like a padlock on it. You know what I mean? And and it's like. So you know that there's some kind of secret that's being hidden in there. And, of course, Tyler discovers some stuff that is, uh, once again, disturbing. You know, the way he finds it. It's like this cachet of very, very extreme, you know, BDSM, you know, bondage, you know, type stuff. But they were hidden below. Like, the first couple magazines were, like, hunting magazines, Right. right. So when he when he opens up the box, it's like, oh yeah, they're just my. For some reason, my dad's hiding these hunting magazines underneath the floorboards. For some reason, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's cool. You go through a first couple, then suddenly you see this like you know, it's like this very. And I'm not judging anybody. It just to me, it just seems like a very dark sort of like thing to be into. You know. No, it is especially if you're a Christian dad. You know, right. scout. Christian dad scout leader is just, you know, probably not the best look. He's not the singer of a black metal band. You know what I'm saying? He's not the, he's not a 25-year-old, uh, you know, dude living in Williamsburg. He's, you know, it's a different MO here. I, actually, uh, that's a really good point that you brought up. I think what, the, yeah, what disturbed me was the context, I guess. The fact that he's yeah. a scout master, you know, he's a Christian. He's got all this, like, you know, small town, like, values. And right. he's not some wild man with like face tattoos, face tattoos, and like, you know, spandex and like you know latex clothes and stuff like that. And that guy, you would expect to have that. You're like, oh yeah, that's Bobby. He's into that kind of shit. And then yeah, he's not hanging out in his room listening to Midnight. You yeah, know? he's not like that dude. <laughs> you know, this guy. It's like the fact that he was concealing it is, I think, just makes it disturbing to me. No, totally. Um, and w- what they also uh, come to find is they find uh, blueprints uh, to a BDSM dungeon in the shed, which they figure out is, you know, be- it- below the home. Like they- there's like another set of sketchiness under the actual home, which is pretty fucking wild. It's like a crawl space that you crawl through. And then there's like a whole there's like a bed, There's like a toilet. It's like a whole other fucking bunch of shit. And I imagine at some point he's done some dastardly shit below the fucking house, right? Absolutely, man. And at first when they saw those planned drawings, I was like, Mm -hmm. this motherfucker's got like some very, very heavy duty imagination. Like he's like drawing schematics of different torture devices. And I'm like, before I realized that he'd actually executed these plans, I was like, man, this is like, like some very heavy, like emotional shit going on with him, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, even that drawing, like, you know, like all the photos we've seen, all that's sketchy, but like the blueprint was sketchy. Like they were like almost like eerie to look at, right? Yeah, totally. Totally. Uh, like the diagrams of, of the devices and all that. It's like, whoa. Um, and. <laughs> You don't feel bad for the for the son at this point, man. Uh, Tyler, it's like he you know he he can't believe like this is his dad, Um, and you know Cassie actually doesn't initially even believe him, right? Right. 
She says that he's into weird sex shit. That's what she thinks. Yeah, you know, but until and but then you know she she gets a lesson in like what's actually going on with his father. Exactly. Um, at a certain point, uh, Tyler goes. You know, well, let's see. Getting a little ahead of myself here. The 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 Rudy factor, right? Happened like he tells. Does Tyler confront him and ask him if he's the killer? Like he shows him the evidence he's uncovered. Yeah, well, well, Um, there's a there's a weird scene though before where his dad dad realizes that he um you know he went and he he had to confront him about you know it's time for us to have a talk here, uh, Tyler. You know and oh the sex talk, yeah. Oh my. And I was (laughs) he's like, and, and it's like at that point Tyler is like. This guy's totally full of shit, I think. You know what I mean? Mm. He's like, why are we talking about this? He's like talking about just your your typical high school sex conversation you had, you, you know, most most kids, I guess, had with their father. Mm. You know, and you're and the whole time the, the, I mean, this is where where um where Charlie Plummer, his facial expressions and his eyes, it's like a combination of just like fear and and disbelief you know and trying to take in trying to process what he'd seen as had his father had in his possession and this like conversation he's trying to have with him about sex you know? he calls it it's just monkey stuff he repeats that so many times i started getting like the douche chill like a combination of the douche chills real chills i'm like oh my god this guy is fucking sleazeball like you know what i mean I yeah don't know, that's not the best word for it but he just just such a it's so creepy and the son is realizing that holy shit my dad is a fucking serial killer like, you know yeah i mean and that's the thing it's like a lot of a lot of um a lot of what um what burnside's doing is like this like this denial and like creating like a uh like this narrative, like he's he's living one life, but there's another story that he's telling to everyone, you know, including his wife, his son, and and on some on some level, maybe he believes in himself that you know that one one is the real life that he's projecting, and the other one's like the shadow world that he lives in, you know. Uh, another sick scene was when he looks, you know, Tyler finds all of the, the driver's licenses, you know. Yeah. Like all the the victims that have been on the news and on the websites and it's like it's pretty un- unrefutable evidence at this point right that that his dad is, is a vicious killer um and you know they he, he decides uh don decides to take tyler on a camping trip and um tyler you know tries to explain the evidence that he has against him and all that and this is when Don says that it was Uncle Rudy, and he became paralyzed after the guilt drove him to, you know, commit suicide. Um, and he actually gets Tyler to, I mean, accept this. I mean, it seems like he believes it because they burn all of the evidence. Well, yeah, I mean, honestly, it's like if you're a 16 year old kid, you don't want to believe your dad's like uh, some kind of like sex deviant murdering women and and doing all this like sketchy shit. So he wants, you know, he's all he wants someone to tell him that it's not true, basically. Yeah. You know, and he's so just ready to not believe that his dad's a murderer. 
The thing is, though, I think even after they burn the evidence, I, I feel like, you know, deep down, he still thinks his dad is the killer. Like, and he's right. His dad is the killer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's like, I, I guess why I like this film so much is that it has like this very, very deep emotional component to it, you know? Hmm. It does. I mean, what would you do if you were faced with this with your own father? I, I don't even know what I would do. I wouldn't believe it. I wouldn't want to believe it. I would probably do exactly what Tyler does. Like, oh, well, you know, he told me this, so this has got to be true. Like, my parents would never lie to me. You know, that, that kind of mentality. Yeah, a part of me thinks that I would even abandon ship at some point if the journey got to be so fucked up and I kept uncovering more and more shit. A part of me thinks that it would make me want to stop but then I kind of realized, no, I would probably, I would, I would demand to know, you know what I'm saying? Uh, internally and, and externally. And, and that's what Tyler does, man. What he does is like one of like, I guess, I guess kind of may, maybe underneath everything, what this movie is about is like when you're, you're young and you're a kid and you believe in like the world being a certain way and then there's that one defining part of your life when you're growing up where you realize that there's like before and after, like something happens mm -hmm. in your life and it's like, well, now, now I'm a fucking man because I had to deal with like some darkness or see the truth in a different way, you know? And I think that might be what this film is really about, you know? That might've been like kind of the subtext for this film because, you know, Tyler at this point, they concoct this uh, this kind of Nancy Drew like uh, you know caper yeah. to try mm -hmm. to try to catch the father red-handed, you know. Yeah, um, it's funny though. I, I feel like was that photo there going back to the beginning of the movie put that was it always just there, or did he put it there? Like, did he want this to end? Did he want to get caught? Like, it was just. You know, it's kind of, again, an unanswered kind of a random question. You know, um, I, I feel like it, it might have been there for a really long time and he forgot it was there. Or he had recently put it there knowing that his son was going to use the truck. Well, that's the thing. He, he, he didn't think his son would use the truck. You know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. like, well, let's, let's think about being 16. You know, mm -hmm. my dad never in a million years thought I would steal the car at night. You know what I mean? So, you know, that, that's like my dad's car. Like he, you know, he yeah. drove it to work every day. I didn't, I would never think of using it unless like I had express permission to, to use it, you know? True. So yeah, it, it probably was just there. I mean, you know? And, and even that is sketchy that he's carrying this fucking weird picture around with him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh. Wow, that's true. Um, but yeah, like you said, they, they do this kind of uh, Nancy Drew kind of recognizance uh, on the dad. And, and they play an interesting kind of trick on him. They just follow him throughout the entire day because, uh, what do you call it? The son, Tyler, lets him think that he went on a scout leadership camp trip. Yeah, so yeah, he's, he, gets he's on, he gets on the bus. He actually gets on the bus and everything, and you know, uh, sees him off and blah blah blah. But no, he he gets off the bus, and then him and Cassie uh, go about their caper. Yeah, 
And also the wife, the, his wife and young, young daughter are, are out of town. And, right. and this is when, uh, you know, when, he, when Don lets his hair down. He's got the house to himself. <laughs> As a matter of fact, what happens is he hasn't killed him in 10 years. He hasn't killed in a long time. Yeah, let's keep that in mind he that he hasn't killed uh, anyone. Yeah, because at dinner, hey, why don't you guys go to your, your mother's, uh, the in-laws, whatever, for blah, blah, blah. Oh, that's a great idea. I'll come meet you there in a few days. You know, it's like, oh, shit. You know, he's getting getting the itch. <laughs> And, and this is like the um, a real nod towards uh, Raider, you know, the actual mm -hmm. case. You know, he's like yeah. taking photographs of himself, like, you know, dressed up and uh, wearing masks and women's clothes and all yeah, this sort of yeah. stuff. Mike, am I crazy or is there a scene in Mindhunters that is in this movie? Like, I almost feel like there is totally lifted, yeah. right? I mean, it's not this lifted. I think it's just that it's what Raider actually did. You yeah, there, there's there's a scene in one of the episodes of Mindhunter that deals with Raider that is uh, close, very close to what what happens in um, in uh, Clove Hitch, definitely. Yeah, and you'll know it the minute you see it. Um, and I I feel like I mean this movie might have been shot before that guy even saw an episode of Mindhunter, and he might not have ever even seen Mindhunter right there, Clove Hitch. So yeah. who knows? Uh, but it's a pretty fuck, dude. So creepy. God damn, the mask. Like, just something, like, upsetting about it to me. <laughs> and then Cassie rings the doorbell. Yes. And this is the, I like, the first time I saw this movie, I thought she was in grave danger. Mm, yeah, I thought she was going to die. Yep. And, uh, you know, but and the, the thing about this, this sequence, you see it progress and then you go back and there's like a flashback almost like a, a sort of like time time shift yes where you see what it, what's actually going on and and i know i know we're we're revealing like a, a very large portion of this film but i kind of feel like we have to man so sorry for yeah. the spoilers but the ending to this movie and how we get there is so powerful that it needs to be discussed i think right basically it's a ruse she goes to the house uh, as a ruse because her and Tyler are, are they know exactly what they're doing um and it, it's all you know a part of the plan like even though as we're watching it we think she's gonna die and she gets out of there because she gets a phone call from her quote-unquote father which is actually Tyler calling her um we find that out a little later like they do this cool I mean is it a flashback is it a flash forward I don't even know what the hell you call it right yeah, that, yeah, it's like I would say technically, I guess it's a flashback. But there's one right. scene that got me real nervous is when, when, when he's taking he takes a Polaroid picture of Cassie, <laughs> and right? he says blow on it, and it's like, do you want to blow on it? And I was like, um, don't blow on it, like get away from him as soon as you can. And I'm like, <laughs> and and the word it just I felt like so creeped out by that because you know, hey, Cassie's at that age, you know, where where adult men will find her attractive. You know what I mean? And and I'm thinking to myself, like, this guy's going to, like, you know, like jerk off and look at the picture or whatever. It's some creepy-ass shit, you know? Oh, my God. Um, but the thing is, like, I just feel like this movie is – it just has a lot of suspense. It's a bloodless movie, right? Well, that, that's something you and I were talking about where – 
if you just like looked at this film from uh, the point of view of, of gore, there's hardly any blood in it. And actually, I don't even think there's a lot of swearing in it. No, no. It could almost be like a TV movie in some ways. Right. Yeah. I mean, they do so much with so little, uh, really. Um, it's just, it, it, it is scary and it is suspenseful. 100%, right? Yeah. And, and it's atmosphere too, mm. you know, and the, yeah. vi- the whole small town vibe and the acting and the stories told through the actors and it's, it's done so well. And the thing is, he, the dad Don has has decided to stalk a woman uh, <laughs> at the grocery store uh, after the the little encounter with with Cassie, um, and yeah, he 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 does that pretty fucking well too, man. Like he you know, he he just basically is kind of in the background. He he sees her at the store and you know gets to her block and he knows that she's alone, knows that she lives alone, or there's nobody gonna be home. And he, you know, he breaks in and binds her, begins to strangle her, and you, you know, as the viewer, you're like, well, okay, you know, well, obviously, we know, we we sure know he's the killer now, uh, you know, that, you know, Uncle Rudy was never the killer, and this and that, and we think we're just about to watch the woman die, but what happens is, Tyler, his son, just comes out from behind, you know, him in the hallway with a rifle. And then we get the reveal that Tyler never went to camp, but was secretly following Don with Cassie the entire time. And the biggest reveal is that one of the uh, women who went missing is uh, Cassie's mother, which is why she is so obsessed with the case. And she is one of the unknown Clove Hitch victims. Yeah, and, um, and it makes it even more cruel that the other girls in school like made all the stories up about her, her, her mom like running away and becoming a stripper and all this other stuff. You know, it's like the the reality is that she got murdered. You know. Yeah, it's fucking fucked up. Um, of course, Don uh, bashes Cassie against the wall. That's a sick fucking moment, right? Well, and this is, and you know, one other thing too about about Don. Even being caught red-handed, he's denying that <laughs> yes, he's doing he anything wrong. He's like, he's like, this isn't what it looks like, Tyler. You know, we're having, a, we're having, an, I'm having an affair with this woman. Things, things just got out of hand, Tyler. You know, and I'm like, this wow. fucking lady's like tied up with a bag over her head, and you're telling me, you're telling your son that he got just, oh yeah, you know, it's okay, just got out of hand. <laughs> <laughs> He manages the. I gotta say though, he manages to convince his son to give up the fucking rifle. Unbelievable, which he immediately intends to shoot his own fucking son with, only to learn, surprise, surprise, the rifle has no bullets in it, which is a pretty good trick actually. Um, the two scuffle for the gun. Don nearly strangled his son to death. Uh, Cassie awakens and knocks him unconscious. Uh, and, you know, another scuffle begins. Cassie tries to dial 911. Uh, Tyler grabs her and, and stops her. Uh, and the movie kind of fades to black for a second, right? Yeah. And the next thing you see is a telephone pole 
with, uh, d- uh, you know, missing, Don Burnside missing. That was really cool, actually, I thought. Yeah. And you get to see the inside of the, you know, Burnside, you get back to the Burnside home, things are a little de- debilitated, a little, the mom is now working. She didn't even have a job, I don't think. Uh, for almost, you know. Yeah, she was a housewife, you know, and right, take care of the kids. Working, you know, things seem quite different. I'm not sure exactly how much time has passed. And then they get a phone call, right, saying that they found Don's body and they have ruled it as a suicide. So we don't even actually get to see uh, Cassie and Tyler killing him, which I thought was kind of cool. I don't know. I thought that that was a really great scene. Yeah, yeah. Once again, like no, no gore, no headshot, no, you know, no, no, no dramatic, uh, you know, gun, gunplay or anything like that. And um, and and the ending, the and the second time I saw this, equally as powerful, man. The ending. So mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, so still don't please go out and watch this movie. But the first time I saw this movie, man, I was so just like heartbroken at the ending too because they have um. You know, the, the scouts have, like, a ceremony, mm-hmm. you know, and um, to honor Don. Yeah. No one knows anything. And that's, that's no. like, one right. of the, the fucking most intense things about this film is that Tyler, the whole thing is, is a secret, that his dad was the Clove Hitch killer. Yes. And here's the thing. He managed to save his mother and daughter and family from any disgrace or any like rumors like it's unbelievable almost. yeah you know yeah totally he his family but he had to do that by killing his father the fucking serial killer it's wow. it this it's like some fucking like like shakespearean like shit man in my opinion you know the way this film oh, ends. yeah and um absolutely you know, and, and at the end, you know, he gets, Tyler gives a eulogy and, you know, there's a picture of Don and he's like, you know, dad, if you can hear me, I love you. And it was, and that was the end of the fucking movie, man. And it was so, so heavy. Yes. I mean, again, uh, apparently it made the, the list of best serial killer movies of all time uh, in the top 50. Uh, yeah. The clock is at number 48. And I would say it's definitely one of the best serial killer movies you could see. Uh, 100%. Um. And it doesn't need to be Henry. It doesn't need to be, you know what I'm saying? You know, what's that Matt Dillon one that you saw that I'm still afraid to see? What's that movie? Oh, <laughs> the house that Jack built. It's not right. It doesn't need to be that. It still manages to be super tense and scary with no ultra violence, no gore, no blood. And that to me makes it 100% see this movie immediately yeah you know and, and at the end when he said that he, he loves his dad i believe it i believe that he, even though he killed him he still loves his father i believe that at the end of the movie yeah because again how anybody listening to this you find out this is your dad what the fuck do you do man i mean geez you know do you go to the cops <laughs> if you go to the cops everyone's gonna know and your family's gonna live with that yeah. You know, like the, that stigma. Who, who might hate their fathers to go, oh, I'll <clears throat> kill myself. <laughs> you know, because even though his dad was a murderer, you know, and a deviant person, you know, it's like, I'm sure that he had great memories about his dad. 
Of course. You know, doing the Boy Scout stuff and growing up and <laughs> all that. You know, because honestly, if you cut out all the bad stuff about him, and granted, you know, that's pretty bad stuff that he did. <laughs> you can see that he actually had a good relationship with his kids. Mm. You know, like the daughter, you know, he used to make the uh, pancakes and all that. And, you know, and uh, he had problems banging his wife, which we see, you know. Mm, like yes, there's a, there's a yeah. scene where they're in bed and he's having trouble. So I'm like, okay, well, you know, maybe you know he needs certain things to happen in bed that you know he's ashamed of or whatever. Right, right. Well, you know, it's funny um, looking at some of the reviews of this. Hollywood Reporter: uh, slow plot, reliant more on atmosphere than action to build suspense, offers an intriguing perspective on the dark side of American values, but lacks the conviction to entirely expose the cultural contradictions that often enable compulsive murderers. It's a missed opportunity. I, I don't, I don't agree with that at all. I think it, I think, I don't I think it really fucking delivered on that end. Yeah. Right. Hmm. Weird, weird, weird take. Fuck that guy, whoever he is. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, Hollywood reporter. <laughs> um, yeah. Metacritic has a 59 of a hundred. Mixed to average reviews. No, nah, I think it's a better movie than that, Metacritic. Um, Ron Tomatoes, 77, which for that site, which I do not like, is actually high for Rotten Tomatoes. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, Brooklyn Horror Film Festival played that. They gave it a great review. Yeah. Uh, I have seen Midnight Movies. I have to say, I mean, a lot of them tend to be pretty good. Uh, sure. This is definitely one of the better ones for me. I, I agree, you know, and and I think it's it's um, yeah, it's a great you know horror film, great genre movie, but it also is just a fucking good movie, man. Absolutely, and look, Netflix has shitty movies. Okay, this is a good movie that you're that you're not even aware is even there. You know, exactly. You know, and and <laughs> once again. That summer of 84, which came out around the same time as this, got a lot of praise and a lot of, like, I would see that come up all the time. Yeah. And that movie is, like, not even, like, close to being as good as this movie. It's okay. I just thought it was a little hokey and eh, just enough with the fucking 80s. Enough. <laughs> I'm just, I'm yeah. over it. I'm fucking over it, man. I, I, let's just do a bunch of '90s set movies sure. already. It's about time I mean, to move into the '90s. That's for sure. I think it's time. I mean, we're we're 30 years past the '90s. I mean, Jesus Christ, the '80s are just a, a gone into oblivion. But um, what will you give the Clovefish Killer on our scale of one to five, Mike? You know, I'm going to be really bold on this assessment, and this this movie um, really it goes into that rarefied space of a five out of five. Oh, look at that. Yeah. Wow. I'm giving it a 4.5. I'm it's we're giving these, we're giving it this high fucking marks, man. Yeah. We're not fucking around listeners. We like this movie. The reason I go with the five out of five, it's like, this is a movie that I'll watch. I'm going to watch it again at some point in the next few months and maybe with someone, you know, like, Oh yeah. Did you see Clovich killer? No, I haven't. Oh, let's watch it. You know, it's, it's that kind of film, you know, Oh, yeah. I mean, I watched it with someone. We hadn't seen it, and we both loved it. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, 
it's just, you know, it's a nice fucking curveball. Like I said, Netflix, not what it once was for the horror, let's be honest. Uh, we, you know, go to Shudder for your horror. Go <laughs> go other places. Go to even Amazon Prime, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they got a lot of stuff on there, too. Um, but, yeah, nice little fucking surprise here, man. Hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully we can see more movies like this on, ne- you know, get Netflix exclusive rights. Yeah, so that's... um. You know, even though I we completely ruined the, the the movie for everybody, it's like <laughs> definitely goes definitely watch it, man, because it's you know we're we're giving you all the we definitely uh, spoiled the ending, but please still yeah. go and check it out. And and we did something we haven't done in a little while, listeners, as I think you might notice. We did a bit more of a beat by beat here, but again, I think it was just it, this movie kind of called for it, and I, I hope it wasn't. It wasn't too boring or anything. I hope not. Um, I just think that this movie, like I said, it, it, it might have called for it instead of just kind of ranting on and on about it, you know? Yeah, exactly. All right, Mike. So that wrapped up another fucking episode, man. All right. Yeah. No, nah, thanks. For, everyone, <laughs> thanks for listening. And, uh, you know, we're um, we're stoked that you guys are out there. And, uh, yeah. you know, we appreciate all the uh, the nice support that we're getting. Thank you very much. Yes, I, I wanted to say someone uh, hit us up about Banshee really? and said they love it. Yeah, on Instagram. Nice. Uh, I, I can think of his name. A young gentleman said, this show is awesome. Thank you for turning me on to this show. I was like, oh, all right. Enjoy fucking Banshee, man. Banshee's great. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's on HBO Max. Check out Banshee. We, we, we mentioned it uh, a couple of shows prior. Fun, crazy show. I've been spreading the word about it. Um, actually, uh, our mutual friend Garrett, he mm-hmm. um, he likes uh, he watched the first that first season of True Detective for the first time, and oh, wow. he loves that young girl that is in Banshee. Oh, okay, right. yeah. So she's, I said, she's pretty, uh, pretty pretty special. Yeah. yeah. So I said, <laughs> well, if you liked her in True Detective, you'll love her in Banshee. Yeah. <laughs> She's quite the looker. Yeah. She's a looker. So he, I think he's checking that out now. So that's good. I, I got to say, I'm almost jealous of people watching Banshee and True Detective for the first time, man. I'm, I'm jealous of that of that specialness. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll eventually watch Banshee again at some point, maybe during the winter or something like that, you know? Oh, totally. Fun shit. Fun genre-bending shit. Um, thank you all. Stay safe out there. Stay cool out there. It is hot. I uh, hope you have a great 4th of July. 4th of July is a uh, couple of days uh, as of this podcast. And we will see you all next time. Take care, guys. Bye.
Dissolve them now!